This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Let's begin by closing our eyes and imagining this. You walk into your local Poke Mart, ready to buy whatever you need to buy. You're ready to do so, and you notice something that's, well, pretty straightforward, something pretty obvious. Whether you've got zero badges or all of them, you walk in and find this pretty much everything costs the exact same. You know how much a Pokeball costs, you know how much a Great Ball costs, an Ultra Ball. Whether you're going into special stores that are able to sell extra items like Fire Stones, or being able to purchase repels, getting escape ropes, and even that bicycle that's sold by the one bike shop that is always there no matter where you are. Those prices are pretty much set in stone for the region. Why exactly is that? And why is it that the bicycle costs more than everything else I will ever play, buy, purchase, anything. Why is the bicycle the most expensive thing in this region? Well, one idea about it, one theory about it, is talking about price ceilings, price floors, and how that's done for basically everything except bikes. Let's talk more about it here on Pokenomics. Hello everyone, welcome to Pokenomics here on the Pika Science Podcast feed. I am your host, Anaru himself. Very excited about this one. I'll be honest, while the topic and the educational value is still there, the theory behind it and how it impacts the Pokemon games is a bit more of personal theory than it is any established fact, because as I've mentioned many times in previous episodes, it's highly unlikely we're going to get a Pokemon economics game, uh, because the target audience for that game would be me on a good day. So not exactly sure if that's in the future of Pokemon, uh, but it is an interesting idea nevertheless. And one interesting thing about it, and this goes into various different things that we've talked about in the past, supply and demand and inflation and all that sort of stuff. One interesting thing about this is price ceilings and price floors. But before we talk about how that works in Pokemon and how that works in the games, let's talk about it in real life. Let's start with some definitions. A price ceiling is generally considered to be government-imposed. We'll, we'll assume we're focusing on governments in this regard. A price ceiling is a government-imposed maximum limit on the price of a good or a service, which is aiming to protect consumers from really exorbitant prices, sort of like that bicycle that we talked about earlier. On the other side, a price floor is a government-mandated minimum price. This is set generally to ensure that producers get a fair income for their products. Now, let's talk about focusing on price ceilings first. Imagine, say, a city experiencing massive, rapid urbanization. So now there's all of a sudden a surge in demand for housing. One way you could prevent certain people, say landlords, from capitalizing on the high demand, you could have the government imposing a price ceiling on rent. Now, while this can be beneficial for tenants initially because they have this maximum cap price, it can lead to unintended consequences. Generally, when making price ceilings and what we'll talk about in a bit with price floors, you're artificially limiting things or preventing things from reaching equilibrium. As a result, price ceilings can create shortages, where suppliers find it unprofitable to provide goods and services at cap prices. It can eventually lead to a lack of supply, which leads to long lines, black markets, and a decline in overall product quality. But for the people that are able to get these houses at a cheaper price, those people are benefiting. Whether or not this is beneficial for the long-term market or the economy, 
sort of depends on how it's enacted, how it's applied, and how the people are able to adapt to it. If we shift over now to price floors, we sort of get a flip of this scenario. So rather than focusing on urbanization, why don't we flip that as well and talk about the agricultural sector. Consider the farming market in general, where governments might actually set a minimum price, a price floor, for certain crops to ensure that farmers are going to receive a fair income. Now, for the farmers that are able to produce these, these specific products, these specific crops, they'll get their fair share of income. They'll get a proper value for what they're making. However, just like price ceilings, price floors have their own set of challenges that can exist. Price floors, while protecting the producers, can sometimes lead to surpluses or too much of a product in the market. If the market equilibrium price is below the floor, as generally would happen in a properly constructed price floor, you're likely going to get excess supply. And this supply can often require government intervention, whether that's the government purchasing that excess product itself, or whether it's trying to send it off or sell it for cheaper prices, eventually taking a loss as a result, which can be both costly and inefficient. Now, in conclusion of the definition side of things, price ceilings, price floors, when used correctly, are tools by the government to regulate markets and protect consumers and producers depending on whether we're talking price floors or price ceilings. When done correctly, it's beneficial. It helps out a lot of people being able to prevent the equilibrium market from taking over, which, while efficient, isn't necessarily best for as many people as possible. However, finding that right balance is crucial, as both interventions can eventually result in unintended consequences. So now, let's shift over to the Pokemon universe and talk about price ceilings and price floors and where they could be applied here. Have you ever wondered why Pokeballs are so cheap? or why the bicycle is so expensive, well, this could be, in my opinion, probably is, a perfect example of a price ceiling. Everybody in this universe, everybody out there, whether you're playing a main series game or a side game, as long as there are people there, Pokeballs, or at least some sort of Pokemon catching mechanic, exists. Ironically enough, actually, now that I think about it, maybe the spinoff games don't really have Pokeballs, but let's focus on the main series games then. You're going to get Pokeballs, and they generally cost, I think it depends on the game, 200, 300-ish per Pokeball. That's set in stone, that's pretty safe to say, and importantly, as time progresses in the game, granted it's hours, but if you move it into multiple hours, multiple days, or scale it up so that one hour is a day, or one hour is a month, or something along those lines, you actually do see that the prices don't change. You've got one badge, you've got eight badges, you've got zero badges, the prices are going to stay consistent. They don't charge differently for different people, which is in itself an interesting economic concept that we may talk about in the future, nor do they increase the prices as time progresses. Things are set in stone. Now, we could think about this logically and say, oh yeah, that's probably because, you know, it's a video game. We can't exactly have fluctuating markets in a video game that is designed for, you know, children at the end of the day. Or we could heavily emphasize economic concepts like we're doing here and talk about it being actually a price ceiling. This is a ceiling set in stone. You cannot, the government of Pokemon has instituted this policy where you cannot charge more than 250, 300 Poke for a Pokeball. You can't charge more than 600 for a Great Ball. You can't charge more than 1200 for an Ultra Ball. Again, of course, depending on the game, the region, the time. If we go down the timeline universe of how Kanto and Hoenn games tend to happen at the same time, the Johto Sinnoh happens at the same time, and they're afterwards, and all of that fun timeline stuff that doesn't fit on an economic show, but trust me, I'd love to go deep into those. You can actually see price ceilings theoretically in action, and then compare that to a quote-unquote equilibrium market, 
or at least something that doesn't seem to have any sort of government regulation on it, in bicycles. In Fire Red, Leaf Green, or the original Kanto games, your reds and blues and yellows, you have to get the bike voucher in order to be able to exchange it for a bike. But, unlike in other games where you do some sort of task and get the bike for free, you can actually see how much a bike typically costs. It costs a million poke. Which, even if we go down the inflation route or talk about exchange rates like we've done in the previous episode, we translate the poke exchange rate, which is commonly referred to as similar to the yen, and that to dollars and all that sort of stuff, that's roughly-ish if we go really simple and say the 100 yen to $1 uh, scenario exists and then 1 yen is 1 poke, that's a $10,000 bicycle. Now, you could pay $10,000 for that bike, which is, or in other words, pay $10,000 or a million poke, which is actually impossible to do in those original games, or you get this bike voucher from talking to a guy for an extended period of time. Why is the bike a million poke? Well, based on the supply and demand market, this is the equilibrium point. While the other items are generally cheaper, because A, it's easier to code into the game, and B, we can apply economics here and say there is a price ceiling or government intervention in place to incentivize people to go out there and be Pokemon trainers, the bikes don't have it. And if the bikes don't have it, that means they can go without government intervention to their equilibrium price, which is the kind of absurdly comedic 1 million poke. If we do a little bit more self-inserting of economic concepts, we could also technically see a price floor in action as well. Now, I'm going to go with the original games because they're easier to work with. And think about a specific item that you get. Let's talk about the original games or the Fire Red Leaf Green remakes where you go through a specific bridge, beating five trainers, and a person at the very end gives you a golden nugget. Now, this golden nugget, for all intents and purposes, has no real value. The only thing you can do with it is go sell it, but you can sell it for 5,000 poke, which is actually a sizable amount in the Pokemon games, ignoring bicycles, of course. Now, 5,000 poke is a lot of money, and that could also be in a certain way because it is a set price. It could be just every single Pokemart, every single organization wants exactly 5,000, no more, no less. That could be theoretically the equilibrium price, or this could be its own little price floor. The minimum that you can buy this for, the minimum that you're allowed to sell this for, you have to do it for at least 5000 And because of price floors being price floors, that's above what the equilibrium price is, and so nobody wants to go above that amount. They don't want to. They, they would cut into their own profits for whatever Pokemarts end up doing with Nuggets, which, not my territory, but that would be a, another fascinating deep dive of what do they do with these Nuggets. And so with this minimum price that the producer, aka you, are selling it at, that is sort of set in stone that this is about a $5,000 thing now, all these Pokemarts are buying it at $5,000. Now, the actual value of the nugget could be less, but if it is less, these price floors are set in stone so that you guarantee yourselves a minimum amount that is enough to sustain you. Now, this is not an agricultural you know, crop. It's not like you're producing corn or wheat or beans or something along those lines. Instead, you're producing a gold nugget that you're just handing to a Pokemart guy being like, here, please give me money. But the same sort of idea kind of applies in this scenario of a price floor. Now, not the best example. You're not exactly seeing production done in the Pokemon games. You're more of the buyer than you are the seller. But it is still a fascinating territory to look at. So as we revert back to the beginning, we go back to the beginning, this beginning scenario that we discussed as you enter into a Pokemart. Behind the scenes, like so many things in the world, there are so many different economic concepts in play. 
There are all sorts of mechanisms, gears that are spinning code that's working in a certain way that's designing itself as an economic system. And while the Pokemon world is a lot simpler than the real world, if we apply some of those real-world concepts in the Pokemon universe, we can see that things are kind of the same. So next time you walk into a Pokemon to see those prices, you can give a thumbs up to the invisible Pokemon government that exists behind the scenes, whether that's the Pokemon League, an actual government, or maybe just a mayor that's insisting on having correct economic policy for the young budding Pokemon trainer that you're trying to be. Until next time, everyone. Take care.